Welcome to the Balance of Power Roundtable broadcast on WKXL and available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Robeson. This is the show where we take a look at what's going on from perspectives from the left, right, and center. We try to dive a little bit below the week-to-week headlines, although we frequently find ourselves enmeshed in the week-to-week headlines, especially when they're as engaging as they are this week. So let's bring in our usual panel of former Democratic U.S. Congressman Paul Hodes and conservative commentator, consultant, and analyst Alicia Preston. Let's start with sort of the top of the news item from the end of last week. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis's interesting approach to dealing with migrants at the border. Just to keep the sequence here, what happened was Ron DeSantis is the governor of Florida. He used Florida taxpayer money to fly migrants, mostly from Central America, who were in Texas to communities in Massachusetts. Got that? It's sort of like a really cruel version of where in the world is Carmen Sandiego. So Obviously, this ended up dominating the weekend press coverage, the Sunday talk shows. It seems to be receding just a little bit in the headlines right now. Alicia Preston, I'm just going to throw this as a jump ball to you. What did you make of this whole situation? What was your big takeaway on it? Look, this is a very big problem we have right now. And I actually sympathize with the states of Texas, Florida, other border states, that they're dealing with this massive influx of immigration. And they're, for the most part, being told they're individually responsible as states to handle this terrible situation. The federal government isn't doing enough to quell this problem we have, which is a problem of the southern border immigration. That being said, this is not the solution. These people, whether you want illegal immigrants in the country or not, I do not. I believe in legal immigration. Uh, applying for amnesty is, however, a legal form of, of coming to this country. Uh, these are human beings, and you don't treat them like chattel, and you don't treat them like political pawns. There's something gross about it. Look, I get being angry about the immigration problem, the, what it's costing us in money, in medical, in education. There's a lot of stuff going on that has to be fixed. But these are just people looking for a better life. And to treat them as lesser citizens, or not, they're not citizens, I get it, but lesser human beings, because they're in pursuit of a better life uh, is gross. I mean, you sent them to Martha's Vineyard because you thought it would be funny to send the poor Mexican or South American immigrants to the rich little island off Massachusetts. It's it, it's kind of vile, to be honest. And, you know, praise the people of Martha's Vineyard. They came out to the point that the uh, officials there had to say, stop giving us donations. We have more than we need. And and I think that's very impressive. And then people are criticizing they were taken to a military base. I think that had to be done. They didn't know what to do with them. And that was pretty quick action to make sure they had housing and medical care needs they have. So, you know, while I recognize and sympathize with the states that are there, that they're dealing with a massive influx of immigrants over the border and, and no one's quite solving this from the federal level, which is where the responsibility belongs. The answer is not to treat human beings as though they are lesser than such. Paul? Ron DeSantis is a squealing pig who wants to be president of the United States. And so for him, uh, people don't matter. Uh, he represents, um, I'd say, the, uh, the visionary leadership of the Republican Party in America today. Um, he is uh, trying to out-Trump Trump where he can. 
when, with um, expressions of cruelty uh, and divisiveness uh, and discrimination, whether it's uh, going after Disney because they're too woke or using human beings as pawns. Uh, he represents um, the kind of morality uh, and political tactics that um, uh, Republicans seem to favor. Um, he, uh, you know, it's like Trump. It's the extension of Trump making fun of disabled people at his rallies. It's the extension of Trumpism, uh, where human beings are merely pawns in a political game. So this disgusting episode, uh, which may, it may even qualify as human trafficking under federal criminal law, um, just represents the latest Republican salvo at um, not having any reasonable way to solve a problem or an issue, no plan, no proposal, let's do a stunt. So it, it's just disgusting. And he's a disgusting politician, a disgusting human being. And the, as the New York Times um, in, a, in an article this Sunday, in its magazine section, a profile of Ron DeSantis um, said that he, better than anybody else, basically in the Republican panoply, better than Cruz, better than Cronin, uh, better than than anybody, uh, he captures the true spirit of where the Republican Party is going. So um, I'm sorry, Alicia, but your party is morally bankrupt. Its leadership uh, are swine, and Ron DeSantis uh, ought to be locked up. I have a thought on this, but Alicia, any response to that? No, I don't think that this is a Republican Party thing. I think this is Ron DeSantis. He does have political aspirations for the presidency. <clears throat> I think like I said, the federal government is leaving these states to handle things on their own. This was not the answer. Don't get me wrong in any way, shape or form. I think it's vile. But the federal government has a responsibility when it comes to the immigration situation. They're not doing anything or they're not doing enough. And you can't leave it to the taxpayers and the governments of, of states like Texas and Florida and others to handle this on their own. So the response by Governor DeSantis to send 50 migrants to Martha's Vineyard was a political stunt. Using these people as pawns was completely unacceptable, but it certainly is not the strategy of the Republican Party. It's the strategy of a guy who wants to be president coming up with a way to get some national news. Hey, first of all, Alicia, way to go. I, I mean this very sincerely on calling it like it is, even when it doesn't line up with the interests of the Republican Party. And and speaking truth to what's going on here, and I, I just I commend you for that as always on this issue. I think you're very compassionate toward people who are migrating from the south across the southern border. You see them as human beings, and that is the most important thing first and foremost. I do dispute very slightly the idea that this isn't a Republican thing. I think what's been missing is just the very obvious driver of all this in the conversation, which is. Well, it's it's election o'clock, isn't it? Immigration time. This is like the Republican playbook go to move. It's like in case of an election emergency, break immigration glass. There was a memo, a 60 page plan that got leaked to The New York Times in the spring, laying out exactly how Republicans planned to do this if necessary. The hopes Republican strategists were, were, were holding 
through late summer was that the inflation situation would be so bad that they wouldn't need to say anything else. I can tell you, I'm talking to Republicans and pollsters and Republican pollsters, including on Beyond Politics, when I had Whit Ayers a couple of weeks ago, who's maybe the top Republican pollster out there. By the way, one of his clients, Ron DeSantis. And you can hear him. Go back in the Beyond Politics feed. You can listen to him. Republicans have been putting all of their eggs in the inflation messaging basket. And now that there's been a slide, gas prices have gone down and Americans' perceptions of inflation and the state of the economy have begun to turn around. It's it's election o'clock, they're breaking the glass, and they're trotting out immigration. Just to contrast for a moment, does anyone remember, this feels like a long time ago, a lifetime ago politically, anyone remember 2018? Wasn't that great? Remember 2018? You remember the, the midterms? Do you remember what the threat was then? It was caravans. Anyone remember caravans? Oh yeah, caravans. Caravans were bad. Well, I I actually looked this up. There's an organization called Media Matters that tracks all the stream of unending malarkey on Fox News. And what they found was that Fox News spent more than 33 hours discussing the caravan in the run-up to election day. On November 7th, The day after the election, 2018, Fox had no discussions about the caravan. Zero. All of a sudden, the caravan was gone. November 8th, they did spend some time, four minutes and 57 seconds on the caravan, even though the caravan was still on its way. This this year, the word of the year, it's not caravans, it's invasion. That's what they've centered on on Fox News. Tucker Carlson has been advising Republicans to make this the core message. A month ago, it was all inflation. Now it's turned to immigration. That's what this stunt is about. That's it's it's partly about Ron DeSantis trying to position himself politically nationally, but it's largely about the Republican Party has wanted to go there because this is their go-to move when they're under electoral distress. Well, two things. One, I, I think Republicans should stick to inflation. Um, you know, across America and in, in districts that are swing districts it, that are in the middle that are going to be making the decisions on Election Day. And those are the folks that worry about kitchen table issues. They're not, you know, in Ohio worried about the southern border in Texas. That being said, everybody uses immigration as this this partisan political issue in election season. And what we have to do, and this has gone on for decades, every administration, Republican or Democrat, has done nothing to try to solve this problem. We have to acknowledge there is a problem with our southern border and there are people flooding it. And it is coming from the root problem, which is the South American countries that the societies are falling apart. They're crumbling. They're impoverished. They're poor. They're fighting. There's warlords. There's drugs. There's cartels. There's forced prostitution. There's human trafficking. These are terrible places. And so these folks are coming here to our southern border to try to get a better way of life. We've got to do this better and differently. And so some administrations got to fix this. So I agree with you that it's been a really bad problem that has plagued both Republican and Democratic uh, administrations. It's it's a it's a bi- it's a bipartisan uh, challenge. Um, and I think you've correctly identified that the source is um, n- not necessarily how attractive we are as a country, although it's attractive to come to the United States where 
at least there's some modicum of law enforcement and the gang violence and searing poverty uh, that you leave behind is 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 ameliorated by the possibility uh, of having of having a life. Uh, but it's a real it's been a bipartisan challenge to figure out how do you deal with um, the countries to our south, which are plagued by corruption, violence, and and poverty. And so, uh, obviously, there's no simple answer. I mean, I was in Congress, and I was part of efforts um, when I was in Congress to deal with the immigration issue and various aspects of it, including par- uh, visas for part-time workers, including visas for highly skilled workers, including uh, the overall um uh, over uh, overall immigration system which you know is uh, whether it's trump building a wall or uh, put and putting people in cages or um interdiction of migrants at the border in record numbers uh, in the obama administration everybody has tried the challenge has been perennial uh, but look, i think we can all agree that the immoral, unhappy stunt that Ron DeSantis pulled is not going to solve anything. It He is trying to highlight the issue, um, and he's trying to highlight the issue in election season, um, just as the Democrats aren't talking about inflation in the economy because they're focused on abortion, uh, because they think that's the issue that's going to drive them over the top in the midterms. The Republicans would like it to be about immigration. So it's interesting to me that both parties are actually off message um, in terms of what voters are most interested in, which, as you say correctly, are the pocketbook issues of the of of the fact that in August inflation was up eight point three percent, which represented a moderation from uh, how how where it had been previously, but still high. Um, All right. Well, that's why to- that's where I want to go with this. That's exactly where I want to go with this. All right. Let's let's stay on the point you're making, Paul, because. It's very interesting. An NBC News poll came out. The last iteration of it was was super interesting when they found that the number one issue for voters was now threats to democracy, that that had overtaken inflation. This round of it also full of insights, really, you know, just kind of an interesting poll, because what they find is that there are essentially two campaigns going on. And I'm quoting Republican pollster Bill McInturf here, who runs the Republican half of the NBC News poll. He says there are essentially two campaigns in America right now. There's a campaign about the economy, cost of living, crime and border security, and Republicans are winning that campaign. And there's a second campaign on abortion, democracy and climate change, and Democrats are winning that campaign. So let's all agree on this panel on a few key things. One, I'd say we all agree and do this by head nod, and I'll just acknowledge it for all of our listeners, okay? We all agree that what Ron DeSantis did was an amoral, hideous stunt that doesn't solve anything. Number two, we all agree that this is a long-term problem that administrations from both parties have faced, and we need to have a mature discussion about solving it. We all agree about that. And I think we also all agree that what's going on here, and the NBC News poll really highlights it, is there is a tussle going on, as Paul, you just said, I think you just put your finger on it, between the parties to decide what are we going to fight about here? And what we've seen in the last two months, the reason that Democrats have gained momentum is that 
what we're fighting about has shifted to Democrats' turf. When it's on Republicans' turf, if if this is an election that's about, do you like how high prices are? Do you like the state of the economy? Do you feel good about crime? If that's what's on voters' minds, then Republicans are going to win this election. If the number one set of issues on voters' minds is, hey, are you happy with the Dobbs decision? Do you think democracy is under threat? Isn't Donald Trump a total jackass? Then Democrats are going to win that election. So, I, I mean, that's that's what this is about. Okay, we agree on that. I'm, I'm seeing vigorous head nods. So now, I guess the question is this. If I'm right, and this is all, Ron DeSantis's move here is just right out of the playbook. And this is all about, let's drag the discussion onto immigration because that's better turf for us as Republicans. Let's workshop this for a second. Paul, you have been in this situation in your own election campaigns before. I remember this vividly in 2008. You had to go to the Southern border for a photo op. I mean, you were doing important congressional work, but you also went to the Southern border for a photo op to show that you know you were serious, you were taking the border seriously, but you wanted to get the conversation back onto the issues that you wanted to talk about. So, Paul, you've experienced this. Alicia, you're an experienced communications consultant. I'm going to put you in the position of trying to advise Democrats here. What do Democrats do to not get sucked in to the stunt and not end up essentially doing what Republicans want and making the conversation about immigration. How do they get back onto the issues that they want to talk about? Paul, I'll let you go first. Well, for the in, in the first place, what's wonderful is DeSantis has given Democrats uh, an evil, an evil actor to rail against. And so, you know, it, it it's really easy. Yeah, now. but if they rail, isn't that isn't that falling into the trap? Isn't that the no. very worst thing that they could do? No, they no. I mean, look, it, I came from a different kind of district. I came from a swing district, right? So, so when I was running, uh, CD two in New Hampshire was swingier than it might meant than it might be now. And I think that I could make um, uh, uh, real real headway by acknowledging, hey, it's a really tough problem. Uh, it's been a bipartisan failure. There are solutions in terms of reform of our immigration system. Um, we need more and better judges. We need um, uh, sophisticated border controls, but no wall. Um, uh, we need to to really double down on what we're doing uh, in in the southern countries. So there are there are solutions to this. Um, that ought to be bipartisan. And the shame is that the, all the Republicans can deal with is stunts. Um, but let's just say that we need to apply some common sense um, to a solution. And uh, the challenge is that we'll never get any cooperation from Republicans because they have no plans. All they want to do is put impediments uh, in the way of progress and do stunts. Um, I've got real solutions for this. Uh, if you send me to Congress, I'm going to fight for common sense, practical solutions that uh, recognize um, uh, that human beings uh, deserve respect. They want to come to this country, uh, but uh, but stunts like this are not the way to solve the problem. Well, wait a second. You've given such a smart answer there, but by giving an answer, are you maybe playing in to what Republicans are seeking? I'm going to turn that question over to Alicia. Alicia, there's nothing you like better than advising Democrats. 
my advice will be for both parties. You know, the hardest thing for a politician to do other than make fundraising calls is to stay on message. And it is also the most important thing a politician should do in an election season is stay on message. For the Republicans, it should be nothing but inflation related. It should be about energy prices, grocery bills, clothes costs, food costs. That's all it should be about. Kitchen tables touch nothing else. For Democrats, I mean, I guess you go with abortion and climate change. I don't think they're winning arguments, but you can't get into the economic discussion. I mean, you can't even get into the gas prices coming down discussion because they're still so much higher than they were a year ago. So where's your avenue? Your avenue is on the social issues because it's not going to be on the economic ones. So but the key is stay on message. Immigration doesn't have to be the message this time around for Republicans or Democrats. Why? We've got the economy. You've got the Dobbs decision the 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 you know, the the, the wizards of, polit- of politics in America have given each party their discussion to have and politicians and their campaigns need to stay on message. Now it's hard. We've all been in campaign offices where someone has an idea or there's something shiny over there. So you look over there and you message over there and then the other guys responding and all of a sudden you're off message. You've got to talk about what the people are talking about. And that is inflation cost of living. And for some, although I don't think it's going to be the make or break um, unless Lindsey Graham keeps this nonsense up uh, abortion. And if, if you cover those issues, you're talking about what we're talking about and you're going to get, you're going to have a better chance of winning. So Paul, you used to do this kind of thing pretty well in debates where you get asked a question and then you do the thing that, you know, people say in focus groups, they don't want you to do, but we all always advise politicians to do, which is pivot. So yeah, yeah. So so look, would if, you advise if, the Democrats pivot here? Yeah, well, sure. Look, if if this if this was in a debate, uh, you'd simply say, uh, um, uh, you know, the Republicans have 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 no answer on this, just like they have the wrong answer on women's reproductive rights, um, because that's the issue we should be talking about here. It's not about um ron desantis would he stands for an attack on women's reproductive rights just as he stands for an attack uh, on on the morality of humans uh and it's a it's of the same piece the republican party has um a, a morality problem they say they want small government they want a government just small enough to fit into a woman's uterus um and they've proved it with their supreme court picks they proved it with the national abortion ban that they're now pushing. Can you imagine that, ladies and gentlemen? Even the most conservative women in this country clearly are horrified by what's happened on women's reproductive rights. They want to, they're coming after your freedom. They're coming after our freedom. The Republicans don't believe in freedom. They are autocrats. They're running a fascist government campaign. That's what they're after. And women are suffering first. The rest of us are in the same boat. You know, what's, I, I think that was a great pivot. I think that is precisely what a bunch of smart young people would have nodded their heads at if you had done that in a, a training, a practice for a debate. And if you're listening out there and you're like, well, wait a second, I don't like that because I like Paul's first answer about immigration, which is, wait, I've got a member of Congress He's part of the government and he just gave me his thoughts and Alicia, you just gave your thoughts. And and this was a substantive conversation about this is a stupid stunt, but let's talk about the underlying issues that we can work on and how we're going to do it together as two parties. If you liked that conversation better, 
Well, that's what we try to do on this show. But Paul, I think you just gave a perfect illustration of the realities of campaigning, which is that's what you have to do. You have to pivot because otherwise you are getting dragged onto the set of issues you don't want to talk about. And at the end of the day, for most voters, you're just getting a little bit of it. You're getting the dribs and drabs sometimes on these issues and you need to, it's like, it's like with a search engine and what they talk about with search engine optimization, you just have to hit the keywords and the key themes over and over again. And if you're out there thinking, well, that sucks. I don't like that. Well, that is the reality of modern politics. But Paul, since you did a pivot there and you went to reproductive freedom, abortion, that's a great segue to the other major news item coming out of the end of last week. And I really want to hit both of you with it. I'm talking, of course, about Senator Lindsey Graham and his national abortion ban. When we last checked in on this issue about a week or so ago, Alicia, you were giving a classic conservative response to the Dobbs decision. You were saying, you know what? I believe that this should be a state's issue. This is something that the Supreme Court probably landed at the right place. I don't want to put too many words in your mouth, but what I recall you saying is that's probably the right outcome. States should determine this. That's more in line with our constitution, with our federal system. And that that's a good outcome. And that was the messaging coming out of Republicans. We're not trying to ban abortion. We are trying to simply let the states decide. And along comes Lindsey Graham and he says, no, 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 no. We're we, we are going to have the federal government decide and we're going to put the line here. And so that's led to a lot of debate. Was this a brilliant political stroke because it gives Republicans somewhere to be that's kind of in line with national polling and where voters seem to be generally, which is kind of a compromise place? Or was this a massive own goal by the South Carolina senator? All right, Alicia, over to you. Even if and if I agreed 100% with Lindsey Graham's proposal of a 15-week national abortion ban, if I agreed with that, I'm not saying I do, I do not understand the timing of it right before an election. I mean, it, it boggles me. It boggles my mind why this would come out right before an election. Look, Republicans who are voting on this issue are already voting Republican. If there are swing states out there for congressional and Senate seats, it's because those in the middle are undecided right now. And this is not the issue to rile them up about. I, I just the, the political strategy, you know, a third grade civics class could come up with not doing this at this point in time. I, and I, I don't get it. I, I don't know why he did it. I don't know why he was motivated to say, I'm going to file this bill now for a national abortion ban. It was poor political strategy. I think it was a total own goal. And, and I don't understand it. Look, I, I do think at this point, and I say at this point because I think these kind of conversations should evolve. Um, at this point, I still maintain it should be a state's issue. Um, I tend to believe in the lowest denominator for these issues. I am a pro-life woman. I'm not a point of conception pro-life woman. I still struggle with what is that line. 80% um, of the country agrees it should be a third term ban. So I'm certainly there. And where that line is before that, you know, I'm still evolving and, and I'm not sure, but it should be a slow discussion. This just happened a couple months ago and no one should jump. This is a big deal and we need to talk it slower than making it a political stunt. All right. So, Paul, the Daily, the New York Times podcast, did a big episode on this in the last week where they tried to make 
as earnestly as possible the political case for what Lindsey Graham did. And I think it was something like, well, Republicans have nowhere to go right now. In, in Nature abhors a vacuum. We saw this with the Build Back Better bill last year where Democrats didn't really have a position to talk about. So in the absence of that, Republicans filled it in with all kinds of, you know, scary sounding stuff. And that's sort of the position Republicans have been in on abortion, that since they didn't have a policy to coalesce around, it left the field open for Democrats to say they want a total ban. They want no exceptions. They're, they're total extremists. And Graham's point was, this gives us a reasonable place to be, to, to have a consensus position that's fairly acceptable to the majority of voters, that's kind of a compromise, that has exceptions. So that was his case. What did you make of it politically? Mm, sorry, Lindsay. Uh, that is a no-brainer, no-go from a brain-dead politician. It is yet another Republican stunt. Um, uh, voters aren't going to get into the nuances of all of this. Okay. They, it's just not, it, here's what they know. They know that the Republican dominated hacks on the Supreme Court, um, the, the perjurous liars who now are our Supreme Court justices, uh, overturned Roe v. Wade. That's what they know. They now know that all across the country, um, abortions are being banned. Women are in jeopardy. Doctors are in turmoil. Uh, it has created, and already it's created an unparalleled human disaster across the country. So in comes Lindsey Graham to save the Republicans with talking points that say it's not enough that the that the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. It's not enough that manifest cruelty is now the name of the game all across the United States. We're going to have a federal, national overall ban on abortions. And that's all that voters are going to hear. This was pretty stupid. Uh, it seems like a Republican Hail Mary um, making abortion once again, the front and center issue. If it wasn't, uh, if it wasn't before, uh, he helped push it into the limelight. Um, and now Democrats have spent millions and millions and millions of dollars advertising, not about the economy, not about anything else, but abortion, uh, because Democrats believe that that is the issue uh, that will now drive turnout, uh, activism and passion around the midterms. For my part, I can see what Lindsey Graham was thinking. I can I can see it, which was kind of related to the conversation we were just having about immigration He's thinking, look, we've got a boil on the face of our political messaging here, which is abortion. It's killing us in the polls. Let's lance it. Let's give let's give ourselves one simple, easy message on this that we can use and then do what Paul just did so successfully a moment ago and pivot. So the Republican version of that would be, well, I support this, which is a compromise, you know, something that most voters are behind. But let's not distract from the real issue, which is how much it costs you to buy your groceries or whatever the whatever the pivot is that Alicia would advise to Republicans. I see the thinking there, but I tend to agree with Paul. This was a massive own goal because we're talking about it. We're talking about it. And I, I think th that is essentially the insight that Donald Trump had and that people who are super successful on social media have, which is. It, hate viewing and hate tweeting and doom scrolling is a thing these days. It doesn't matter so much 
if voters are agreeing with you. It matters if you're trending. If you're talking about it, that's that's what Trump realized in 2015 and 2016. He was the lightning rod. He was the center of attention. Graham has basically brought the conversation back to this. I don't think it's a coincidence that at, at about the same time, DeSantis did his stunt because, you know, it's a convenient way to try to get people to change their mental channel to a better set of issues. Abortion is not a winning issue for Republicans. And ultimately, Alicia, I agree with you. This is another complex issue that probably is is sort of beyond our capability in our politics these days to deal with in, in campaigns. It has to be dealt with in a far more nuanced, sensitive way. We ain't going to do that in the next seven weeks in the run up to the midterms. Um, Speaking of, I, I just I just very quickly want to cover a story that sort of passed like a like a blip on the radar screen. It was sort of like the UFO of national news last week. Like maybe it was from another planet, maybe not. We very nearly had a massive railroad strike, and it's 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 amazing. This would have been such an incredible disaster economically if you have like twenty seconds in your life. Just Google economic damage railroad strike. And you'll find stories from six or seven days ago that are like, do you realize how screwed up our whole country would be if this actually goes down? Not to mention, I mean, the Democrats would be sunk. I mean, this would be a total disaster, human disaster, economic disaster, political disaster. And President Biden stepped in, took a heavy hand with Labor Secretary Marty Walsh in the negotiations brokered a temporary compromise and we don't have a railroad strike is this paul this must drive you nuts when you were a member of congress this is the kind of thing where the government does something they see a looming problem they step in and they avert it and you will never get credit for a problem that didn't happen you only get blame for the problems that do happen do you have any frustration about this like this is this is a huge this is a huge disaster that didn't happen. Shouldn't President Biden somewhere in the universe be getting some some credit for this? Sure. I mean, he actually did what presidents are supposed to do in the face of an unparalleled catastrophe on all levels for the country, not just Democrats, but for the country. He did what a president ought to do. He got involved. He worked the phones. He um, had his people work the phones. He had three cabinet secretaries out there working the problem. And eventually, at the last minute, they were able to uh, to 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 avert um, avert the strike. Um, so he ought to get credit for being uh, an active, engaged uh, president who delivered. He delivered. He delivered something huge. Of course. You know, if there'd been a strike, the Republicans would have had a wonderful talking point for the elections. I mean, they just would have it would have been, you know, easy home run. It would have been it would have been like uh, like like Steph Curry with nobody on the other end of the court um, coming down for a layup. I mean, it was it would have been a Republican. I, I, I just you can't even imagine the magnitude because, you know, transportation was going to grind to a halt. The shelves were going to be empty. Um, it, it was just awful. So Biden deserves all kinds of credit. If you're a member of Congress or some lower politician like a member of Congress and you're standing by watching this disaster unfold 
all you can do is 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 drink Alka-Seltzer four times a day and go through packages of Tums because because there's nothing you can do but watch the disaster unfold. And then and you're saying to your campaign people and chief of staff. So what do I say about this? Do I put pressure on Biden to to do more, to work harder? Do I put pressure on my labor union supporters if I'm a Democrat to say, would you guys please come to the table and get sane about this? It's not that big a deal, but it is a big deal because labor in this country um, really needs a comeback. And Biden's a big labor guy. So you stand there with your packages of Tums and your fuzzy Alka-Seltzer and you pray. And in this case, prayers seem to work. You know, Paul, when you characterize members of Congress as a lower form of politician, it makes it sound like you're sort of the larval form of presidents in the same way that staffers are the larval <laughs> form of lobbyists. Uh, Alicia, um, I mean, it doesn't matter. Like it's it's imaginary points like on uh, whose line is it anyway? It's like they're, they're just made up here. Do you want to give any imaginary points to the president on, on this one? I mean, or or is it like, eh, it's, it's what you're supposed to do. So move on. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of the job of the administration. That being said, my understanding is this isn't over yet. There are 12 railroad unions that the rank and file have to ratify this. One's already rejected it. One has already accepted it. And so that's 10 more to go. And if most of them don't ratify this, then the deal falls through and a strikes back on. One union who rejected it said, we're going to hold off striking until September 29th. That's only a week away. Uh, to see what the rest of the unions do. So, uh, you know, Biden may get the attention he wants if this all falls apart. <laughs> so an asteroid, basically what you're telling me here is that Joe Biden is Bruce Willis. Okay. An I asteroid. Never, was, ever make was, that analogy. Yeah, no, that's what's happening. <laughs> oh, and maybe Joe, Bi Joe Biden liked, he likes that. He, from now on, he's going to introduce himself. Hi, I'm <laughs> Bruce Willis masquerading as Joe Biden in a 78 year old body. <laughs> right. So basically he gets in his rig, he flies up, he deflects the asteroid heading for the earth. And Alicia, what you're telling us is yeah, but the asteroid's coming back for another pass. So <laughs> it's looping back around. <laughs> well, I'm I'm so glad I built up what a gigantic disaster this would be, only to uh, remind our listeners that it's not over yet. So that's that's great. That, what what a what a nice what a nice listen. I like to bring the cheer. Yeah. Uh, um. Hey, speaking of the cheer, I'm gonna bum you out, Alicia. So we were talking last week, and you were you were fairly strong in your view that now that primary season is over all the nominees are set for both parties we we've, we've got the slate in new hampshire we've got don boldick at the top of the ticket for republicans or i guess maybe the governor is technically at the top of the ticket and uh, as the republican senate nominee he is someone who governor sununu called uh, what do you call him insane crazy uh, conspiracy a, a crazy theorist. conspiracy theorist and like five minutes later, after it was announced that he won, Sununu endorsed him. It was like, he's a pretty good guy. I like him. And so that just brings me back to the conversation we were having about the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee, the arm of the Democratic Party that supports Senate races. We've talked a lot about the fact that they meddled in Republican primaries. And it seemed a little hypocritical while the president of the United States, who's a Democrat, was saying, hey, these MAGA Republican election denier big lie types are a threat to democracy. You've got the Democratic Party actually putting money into ads to support some of them in their primary contests seemed a little weird. 
I want to just circle back on that very, very quick to ask you this. Doesn't it seem like maybe the Democrats were right? Because ultimately, if you've got so-called moderates like Glenn Youngkin in Virginia, who's now going out to campaign for the nutball in Arizona of something Lake, who is an election denier, big lie conspiracy theorist. If you've got the moderates making common cause with these absolute insane whack jobs, and we already know that once in Congress, everyone kind of votes the same with their party. Does it really matter? Does it really matter who emerges from these primaries in terms of threats to democracy? I mean, wasn't the Democratic Party right to meddle if they thought that they could get a candidate who they could beat more easily? Well, I guess it depends on your definition of the word right. I mean, it worked. It had an effect. How Clinton-esque of you. It was immoral, unethical, and the attorney general's office is investigating at least one Democratic mail house for four illegal mailers. So it was potentially illegal in part. But it worked. I mean, can you be immoral, unethical and potentially commit crimes? And it works. So therefore, it's quote unquote right. I guess your party's going to have to be the judge of that. Look, as for Sununa coming out and embracing Don Bolduck, um, you know, it's funny. I and many of my colleagues have said for years that Democrats do this so much better than Republicans do. And that is coalesce around your nominees. You guys are actually and I mean this sincerely, you guys are so much better at not you know, crying over spilt milk and coalescing around your nominees. What we saw this time is Republicans are finally doing it again. Uh, You have to unify to win. And I'm glad that Republicans are unifying. Wouldn't you, as I'd say number one Sununu fangirl and possible future Sununu for president communications director, wouldn't you have preferred for him to show a little bit of independence and backbone and say, nope, Baldick crossed a line. He has denied the election. He's a conspiracy theorist. You know what? I love my party. I'm going to root for him. I'm going to put all my resources into us winning, but he's a bridge too far. And yes, I am a total Sununu fangirl, and I hope he listens to the show and that this is my tryout for his communications director position on his presidential campaign. Um, You know, I think it's a tough call strategically. I I think, you know, Don Baldick got 35% of the primary vote. That's a big enough number to need it to win other seats in November. I think uh, Governor Sununu is being a team player, and I think that's important because he's got a base as well. And he has been critical of Don Bolduck in the past. That's not a secret. But when it comes, all he's saying is if it's Maggie Hassan or Don Bolduck, I'm going to go with Don Bolduck. That's ultimately what he's saying. I think it was the right thing to do. And, uh, you know, you can't run your own race fighting against your own party. It's not going to get you anything. Mm. Paul, we've got 45 seconds. Your take. Poor Chris Sununu. What's, 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 what's a slimy would be moderate governor going to do when faced with a slate of far right MAGA crazies as his running mates? Oh, I hope they bring him like a sea anchor in a hurricane. I think he should take the advice of the philosopher Bluto Blutarski and start drinking heavily. I, I think that's, I, I would say that Chris Sununu should probably <laughs> knock a few back. And every time someone, you know, in the party says something crazy in MAGA, you know, he should, um, he should throw a shot back and then um, he'll have cirrhosis of the liver in about five minutes. All right. That is all for Balance of Power. Paul Alish on that. We'll see you next time. 